This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking Logan Lucky. And planning a heist. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other film movie topics. This is episode 296. 296. 296. Mm-hmm. Four away from 300, which we've been talking about. Yeah, yes, we have. Thank you for the, the reminder already. We got that out of the way. <laughs> yes. Uh, episode 296. Yeah, we're getting up there. And uh, for this week, we are talking Logan Lucky, the new film from... former retired director steven soderbergh um and joining us tonight from m time china they don't know what they're missing because he's i mean for some reason he's not there anymore but they'll miss him you guaranteed be careful around him because he's dealing with science it's todd gilchrist hi guys thank you so much for having me on here i appreciate this this is how i'm processing my my grief and uh, and there's no way there's no other way I'd rather process it than than with than with you, fine gentlemen. That's what we like. To I'm, hear. I'm giving you a warm hug right now. I don't know if you can feel it. Oh, I feel it. I feel oh, it. I feel it on my thigh, especially. I, I, you need to watch your. You get real handy. I mean, you are taller than I am, so that's very much a possibility. <laughs> also joining us for the first time from We Live Entertainment and the founder of the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society. He knows all the twitters. It's Scott Menzo. Hello, everyone. How are you? Scott, you know all the Twitters? You oh, know the computers? I know all the Twitters. The Twitters <laughs> and the Tweeters and the Twatters. All of them. That's good to know. It's good to know. Well, I already, I guess I heard from Todd already how he's doing today, but Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, not bad. I'm very happy to be on the podcast for the first time. Uh, I'm a little rusty on podcasts. I used to have, we used to do our own, the We Live Entertainment podcast, but we took a hiatus last year. So it, it's good to kind of get the uh, the voice pipes going again and joining you, uh, wonderful gentlemen, on this call. Well, compared to others who have never done podcasts before, you're at least you're a step up right there. So it's already going well. But uh, yeah. Good to have you on. Good to have Todd on, of course. I hope he can yeah, process his grief appropriately while we do this podcast. We'll see what happens. If you just hear me break down sobbing, you'll know. You'll know. Well, is that because you just, you know, got a, a stain on your shoe or is it because of the the, uh, the job thing? I mean, it's entirely <laughs> possible. Those are those are two equal reasons yeah, the, the why shoe I might thing, I would take, if, if Todd told me he had a stain on his shoe, I'd believe Todd. it. Oh, I yeah. know it's serious. Let's, uh, let's get into some show notes before we get things started. Let's here. do it. Uh, first up, we have a new commentary track. Every month on the podcast, we do a new commentary. Um, and this month, we did Bonnie and Clyde in honor of its uh, 50th anniversary. Um, and so Brandon and I, as well as a friend of the show, Robert James, uh, we all took the time to record a commentary track for Bonnie and Clyde. I think it's a pretty good one. Um, so be sure to check out that on iTunes and Audio Boom. It's a, it's a good track for sure. And uh, what else? Actually, I know we have a, a number of new likes uh, recently, and we got a lot of new Dude. feedback and yeah. stuff. Um, so I welcome any, uh, we welcome any new listeners to the show. Um, and this is it. <laughs> this is what it sounds like. So there you go. <laughs> I, was, I was like, well, that's a little underwhelming. This is it. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, I see what you mean. It worked for Michael Jackson. That movie made money. So, you know, what can I say? <laughs> what else? Um, let's see. iTunes reviews and ratings. Good to get those. Helps out the show. Helps other people find the show. If you want to log on iTunes because you enjoy what you're hearing or because for some reason you're like, this is okay. 
but you still feel the need to rate our show for some reason, log on to iTunes, <laughs> search out now there at a name, find our show, give us a star rating, that'd be great. Uh, and Tell uh, us how average we are, we'll, we'll accept it. Yeah, and a written review, that'd be great also. Our uh, sixth annual summer movie gamble. Um, next week is, Abe, next week's like the last week of this. Is it already? Yeah, because next week's the 25th, and after that's Labor Day weekend. Yeah. So those may be familiar already, but I will go over this because we have plenty of we have new guests and everything. So we, Abe and I, along with many other frequent members of the show, we've all participated in the Summer Movie Gamble, where we predicted what we think are going to be the top 10 highest grossing films of the summer at the domestic box office. There's been a lot of shakeups, a lot of things have happened. Um, and it's been interesting to track it, and we've been kind of doing recaps every week on this as far as just what new movies open, where things are, and what have you. Uh, nothing too impactful here, but The Hitman's Bodyguard was, you know, the, the biggest new release of the week. It made $21 million at the box office. I don't think, I think maybe one of us had it in our Dark Horses, um, but I don't think any of us really thought it was going to, you know, make this giant splash and suddenly be in the top ten. Um, that said, Annabelle, Creation Abe, which you had as a Dark Horse, $64 million in two weeks. Not bad, but it might not crack the top ten. It's there. not gonna crack the top ten, but that's a it's a pretty strong gross for that movie. Yeah, yeah. for for a movie about dolls. Yeah, yeah. None of us thought Logan Lucky. <laughs> would, yeah, <laughs> none of us thought Logan Lucky would do super huge um, appropriately, and that movie only made eight million. Even though we're gonna be happy to talk about it, I think later on in the show. Um, meanwhile, Dunkirk, uh, number four. 165 minutes. It's done really well, and I'm very happy long, that yeah. I was one of the few to put it on our top 10 list, because trust in Christopher Chris, Chris Nolan. It just makes sense. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's a quick little look at the box office this weekend. Um, other things are still making money. Uh, there you go. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's going to do it for show notes stuff. Let's move on now, guys. Let's get to let's get everybody else in the show. Let's get to a thing called Nobody, where each we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast, and better get to Know Everybody. everybody. That was good. Whoa. Yeah, see, yeah Scott, you, you were prepared for, for our in-sync. You know, honestly, I, I actually thought this was a segment where we just would talk and you guys would go, no, no, and you just went around. No, like, everybody. Yes, that's what I. We're just like George exactly C. Right. Scott and like various. No, everybody. Abe, <laughs> <laughs> hey, how about you start this one off? I got a question for you guys. Do you guys have a singular term code name? to execute a series of spe- special events that may or may not lead you to be very wealthy. I feel like oh, I, I should start I, this I like this segment because it's the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Simple enough. That's a good answer. Uh, you mean, do I stage heists regularly and then give them a, a descriptive term afterward? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Um, well, I couldn't say that for legal purposes on it on this now it usually just depends on on what the what what sort of criminal activities involved i you know i try to come up with something that's sort of a pun that's sort of a reference you know but i don't want to uh it kind of varies from from job to job all of which i i will say uh, you know uh for legal purposes are completely legal i just cannot divulge the details of them <laughs> when I when I get legally obtained paychecks, I go to the ATM and I say the phrase "Make money, money, make money, money, money," and that seems to add to my bank account. <laughs> That's a long phrase, but I like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a question. Okay. It, pick, apparently, piggybacking off of Abe's question, where would you stash the take from your heist? Not in a landfill. That's for sure. I would say. Um, 
under my mattress or um that's the best I, place yeah the classic probably. mattress <laughs> yeah. wait do you have a box spring or is it just the mattress and then you cut a hole in the mattress because i have to know just in case i have to go check your house uh i actually have a storage bed with some drawers underneath it oh, like so um, <laughs> so yeah i like that yeah. I was wondering. So, if you hide things in the mattress, are you purposely hiding it in like the the head area, so like it's firm, or like in the the back area? Would that make... the middle, so Probably you get middle, more right? firmness along your spine? Because it would sag the most there. So it's like you're you're now you're <laughs> you're giving it further cushion with with stacks of bills. <laughs> so I take that template. Uh, I, I have stolen. That. I can't cash. say my answer. Okay. So. <laughs> totally understandable, Todd. Don't worry, I'll be coming over next week. Okay. Okay. <laughs> my secret spot would be a closet in my apartment that has nothing but Tupperware containers that are stocked up from the floor to the ceiling, and you would never be able to find it. Okay. <laughs> this is very specific. I feel like yeah. you actually do have a, a huge stash of money in a closet somewhere with Tupperware. <laughs> It's possible. It's quite possible. That's how Daredevil. I, I really is. like the idea that you're going to throw people off by by just hoarding so much that that they can't <laughs> that they're like they just throw up their hands and don't even want to search. That's I mean you a, you, you apparently have not seen my house, so there you go. <laughs> that's how that's <laughs> how Ben Affleck did it in Daredevil. Like he died. had a bunch of different Tupperware containers for the different cash he needed, and then he folded them. <laughs> that classic Dare, that classic Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck. That's what I'm referring to. That's how he did. Oh. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> anyway, that's how you play. No, everybody. No. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on now, guys. Let's get now quickies. Yep. Each week out now. We do talk about quickies. That was uh, that was all right, TM. I I was moving quickly. I was we, we took a lot sure. of time in the whole heist part, so we had to go past it. <laughs> let's just get to this. Abe, have you seen any other movies this week? I did. I finally got to watch this Japanese anime called Wolf Children, and it's all right. I think it's very, uh, it's very sweet, but at the same time, I, it left me kind of wondering why they left the killed the children off uh, at the age of twelve rather than moving into adulthood, wherever the case was. Well, it seems. But I don't know right. anything about this, but it's called Wolf Children, so that seems like it's pretty it, self-explanatory. It garnered a ton of acclaim back in two thousand and twelve, and I'd never seen it until now. So there's a film, an anime film feature. Yeah. Yeah. Full length. Yeah. Called Wolf Children. Yeah, is it is it like set in the past or is it modern? No, it's set it's set in the in the present, but it's just super sweet about these two kids that are half hybrid human and wolf, uh, and just growing up in the the city versus the country. That's really what it is about. All right. Yeah, and it was okay. I'd say check it out if you're ever interested, but at the same time, again, super sweet. So, uh, are you saying that's a plus or a minus? Uh, if you're into that kind of stuff for Japanese anime, then it's a plus. I kind of just felt like there was not really a great story there. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, Todd, let's move on to you. Have you seen any other movies this week? Um, have I? I don't think I have. I didn't know. I, I just, uh, I, have, I haven't seen anything. How about, re- how about in general? Like, what's the last thing you saw besides Logan Lucky? Uh, let's see. I saw Logan Lucky and I saw Annabelle actually, and I and I actually really like that. Um, I mean, you know, it's a to me, it's a, a great movie to watch with an audience. Mm, okay. I agree. Um, 
I mean, I saw it in a, you know, like a press screening or whatever, but I mean, like you have a full theater of people like reacting to the sort of even the most nonsensical sort of jump scares and everything. It was, uh, it's a lot of fun. I think <laughs> the most nonsensical jump scares. No, I agree. No, yeah. I, I agree with Todd. No, I think it, it does. It does what it's supposed to do. It, 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 it meets its kind of requirement for a movie like that. And it's, it's better yeah. than anime. I, Scott, I believe you're on the, you're on the tag. You're like quoted on the, the I was going to say it's, the, it's the must see horror experience, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you heard it here. Um, no, I, I, I saw it at the LA Film Festival at the Ace, uh, the hotel, the theater there, mm-hmm. and I saw it with a mix of press people and also audience, like just regular audience people, and that's that's what really sold the movie for me was just seeing the reaction from everyone around me, looking around, seeing everyone on the edge of their seat, hearing the reaction when something happened. It, it's definitely one of those movies you have to see in a theater and with a great crowd. Well, cool. Any anything else recently that you've seen? Uh, can I talk? Well, I don't know. Yeah, what can, what can you talk about? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Because like, can I talk about Leap since it actually just like screened for everyone yesterday? I mean, if there's no embargo, I'm not holding you back. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I should. Okay, so apparently that movie you. was like released last year in the UK called Ballerina, which I just learned about because I posted one of my friends is from the UK, and I actually thought that Leap was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I'm very surprised that Weinstein once again doesn't know what they're doing in terms of the marketing. Hmm. That's, uh, that's a bummer to hear. Because, so I mean, I felt that way about the founder. They didn't do a great job marketing that at all, and I thought that movie yeah, was really good. What, Leap's an animated film, correct? Is it a, and it, it was called Ballerina. Yeah, it Is has. It, yeah. It, it's uh, the voices of uh, El Fanning. <laughs> I'm Nat Wolf replaced Dane DeHaan in the this version. They redubbed the voices for some what? reason. Huh. Yeah, I have no idea. Too why. much Valerian fame. That's what's happening. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, because that, <laughs> that movie did so well everywhere. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I just, I feel like uh, if the Nut Job Two can get better marketing and like people can go see it and people go see the Emoji Movie, this movie is like twenty times better than either one of those movies. And it won't do anything at all because it's so poorly marketed. But the movie itself is, I hate it. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think the. Um, I mean, I would give it like a seven. I do out of a ten rating scale. I would give it a seven. Um, you can tell where they dub stuff over to fit the American audience, like where you can tell like some of the jokes were put in so that Americans would laugh at it. Um, but at the same time, I think the story itself is really really inspiring to little girls and i think it, it, it does have a pretty solid um voice cast and the animation's pretty great too uh i've seen a few things uh this week okay uh let's see on and i we had a caught up on some movies uh, first up wind river um this is from from a uh, taylor sheridan who wrote sicario and hell or high water and now he makes like his directorial uh, debut with wind river he wrote it also part of his kind of i believe he refers to it as his american frontier trilogy um this it has Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen and it's okay. Um, it yes, it, exactly. It doesn't. It's okay. It doesn't have the same kind of spark <laughs> that Hell or High Water had or the same urgency that Sicario has. It's just more of a standard procedural. Um, it's acted well enough. Um, and I know. Um, hey, remember um, Mike Dillon on the show a few few weeks ago? He mentioned yeah, how. Yeah, PhD. Yes, he mentioned how he thought Jeremy Renner was miscast in the lead. 
Yeah, I think that uh, Terrence might have said that too. Uh, was it Terrence that said that? It was Mike. That but said a couple, that. a couple of people also mentioned it to us. Well, it's the kind of because like Jeremy Renner, he's like he's he lives he 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 he's like he was married to a person that lives on the Indian reservation, so he gets to kind of live mm-hmm. there anyway. And Mike was suggesting how you could have just had a Native American actor, right, playing this role. And looking at it, I can see that. But also, they have Gil Birmingham in this movie, who was great in Hell or High Water. And I was thinking, yeah. well, what if they switch these roles? Like he plays he plays the father of the the woman who was raped and murdered. And I was thinking, well, what if Jeremy Renner was the father and Gil Birmingham was like the lead like guy in this one? Who, who because like Jeremy Renner's character like dispenses all this knowledge about tracking and everything is like because at first I'm like I don't seem I don't there's don't, don't seem to be a problem with having him in the lead role. But it's like, well, what if they did lead this? Especially because he's like this kind of. Say, he has sage wisdom to offer and everything. It's like it seems like it could have been played like a different way. Um, regardless, I see what you're yeah, it's just like the movie. It's 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 a good movie, but it's just not. It's nothing nothing special compared to you know Hell or High Water Zakari, which I think were both excellent movies. Um, mm-hmm. The other film we managed to catch uh, yesterday was The Trip to Spain, um, one of my most anticipated movies of the year. <laughs> I was really looking forward to Trip to Spain. Um, and it really delivered. I, I, I think if you're a fan of these trip movies, The Trip and The Trip to Italy, starring Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, uh, this one falls right in with the other ones. Um, as many may be aware, there are these TV series, The Trip, um, that are like six episodes um, each. And then they kind of, for American audiences, they edit down into a movie. Um, and so this follows suit. It's just another kind of edited down version of the of the trip, the you know the UK TV series, where they turn it into like a feature film, and it's a uh, it's strong. It's it it's a it's another kind of well done entry. It reflects the characters where they are. I mean, you know, they they play versions of themselves, um, and it's a lot of fun. It all it has the kind of level of poignancy there that you've seen the other trip movies too, as far as kind of what's what they're going through in their fictional takes on their lives but it's just it's a lot it's a still a really fun movie you get, you get all the silly impressions that they do a lot of the i mean the whole movie is basically improv between the two of them as they go to different restaurants around whatever country they're in and spain looks mm-hmm. great uh, it's shot really well uh yeah so i just very very happy with the results of the third trip movie it's good to hear yeah. any michael kane impersonation of course um, okay and a lot of roger moore which was you know nice since you know Roger Moore you know, unfortunately you know he passed earlier this year and so it's like oh now you're getting like a lot of kind of tributes to Roger Moore essentially in the film, um, and they bring some new ones too they they bring some some new ones so glad to hear yeah um, I want to mention two other TV series that I also managed to see uh, first up Anna and I we binge Defenders all well seven because we already saw the first episode at Comic Con. Uh, which I guess made it easier because we had to watch seven episodes. Hashtag humble brag. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, hashtag blessed. Neither, <laughs> <laughs> neither of us are like binge watchers though, so like we just wanted to keep going with Defenders. So I guess that says something about it. That says it's pretty good. But uh, no, I, I heard such mixed reviews on that so far. I, I mean, would, there's people who who said they really liked it, and other people have said it's in, incredibly underwhelming. I'll be honest, I don't care either way. But yeah. I'm. Just a lot of people I've heard, you know, everyone's been posting about it on Facebook. So I've been asking everyone, and it just seems like 
the consensus is really like right down the middle. Some people really like it, some people don't. What, it, what did you did you like it? It's certainly a step up from Iron Fist. Um, <laughs> it a well, yeah, wow. Well, no, it, it is. I would say it's good. I I, I do think it, it it is it is you know entertaining and fun to watch, especially once they all kind of get together. Once they start being the defenders, despite never saying the word defend. Um, I think the. The only real issues I have is that it feels surprisingly kind of cheap. Like they don't go. There's not many. There's not much scale to a you know a series that combines all of these people, which might be because they have so many people in the cast and it's a TV series where they don't have the kind of the budget to really go bigger. But um, is that not to interrupt? But is that I mean is that really surprising? I mean I, I say this like I have a very limited experience with many of the Marvel shows, mm-hmm. but I mean they all to me feel extremely cheap and and not sort of thematically developed you know i mean i I would say i mean i would i was surprised that it looked more like agents of shield than any of the netflix series because agents of shield is like all the kind of warehouse and cardboard box series where it's like there's nothing going on there um but this one i mean i would i would say that daredevil and luke cage and jessica jones they all have a kind of distinct style to them and they 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 at least explore the areas they work in, and I feel they're more stylish. Where Defenders, I don't think has as flashy a direction. They they certainly try to emulate each of the different shows by when they shift around to different characters. The Luke Cage segments have a kind of yellow tint to them. The Daredevil ones have a reddish feel to it. But like, you know, even in the choreography, which is a big problem with Iron Fist, it just the the action is satisfying. There's these things that you know it's neat to see them team up and fight against each other and what have you. But like, there's a lot of you know fights in dark warehouses where it's like okay the stunt doubles are doing a lot of work here and <laughs> that said the interaction the actual story being told i think is fun i thought it was entertaining on and i had a good time watching it we couldn't i mean i i it's interesting to hear people that like complain about these shows yet they're like but i, I watched all eight episodes in eight hours it's like okay well i mean you... they're critics they have to no not critics people just random people on twitter or whatnot it's like who are, who, like, I who mean, are, they want they want to have a rant. They have to. I, it's just if they really <laughs> didn't like it that much, I'm surprised they were able to finish it immediately, and not like you yeah, know, a no, week I from now. <laughs> so. Well, I've got a question for you. Do yeah. you have to? Wa- do you feel like you have to watch all the other previous individual series? No. No. Yeah, okay. Good. I'll say like Anna had it. I'm really uh, Anna's seen like you know various episodes here or there from some of the shows, but like we we were both encouraged to watch the whole thing the whole way through because we wanted to see where it was going. Like I don't think there's a a necessity to seeing each and every show to really get it. There's, you could, I mean, there's probably some YouTube, like everything you need to know about these shows, which should probably be subtitled everything you need to know to not watch Iron Fist. But I mean, it, it, you know, it, it works. It, it, it works as its own kind of standalone thing. You get a sense of who these, I mean, if anything, that kind of hinders the first couple of episodes, because they have to remind you of who they are and what their goal is. Um, okay. And like Sigourney Weaver is like the big villain and she's like a threat, I guess. A, the other kind of issue is, that the hand is who they're like fighting in this whole thing. And despite the fact that we're told they're evil, are you talking about cabin in the woods or are you talking about the defenders? It's just that giant hand at the end of cabin in the woods. Yeah. It's the same hand that's in smash brothers. It's that hand you fight at the end. <laughs> uh, it's no, it's the, the evil shadowy organization known as the hand. And yeah. I say evil and shadowy, but I don't really know what evil they've done. Like even watching the show, it's like, what is their goal? Like, I, well, I know what their goal, what, like what is, they they talk about the things they're going to do, but it never seems like a huge threat necessarily. And I'm always curious about that. But uh, regardless, I mean, it, I I do think it's quite entertaining. I I was happy to watch the whole thing through, you know, in a matter of hours. Essentially, we had a lot of fun time watching it. I think the character interactions are what make it work. The same as you know the Avengers films, um, just obviously on a different scale. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, Defenders is out. You know, it's streaming now on Netflix, so you can catch it. Okay, good to hear. Well, I feel like uh, just to add one thing to that, you know, one of the things somebody I know pointed out, and this is something that I was kind of vaguely aware of, but but they pointed out like as the show has now become uh, now that it's released is all the characters kind of have the exact same power. I mean, they're all strong. I mean, they're not, it's not like they have complementary. I mean, you look at like the trailer for infinity war. Now I'm not comparing it qualitatively or, or anything else, but I mean, it's like you have characters that can create portals and you have characters that can, that have a metal suit and then you have this. And, and to me that, that, that difference, I feel like, also, is, Todd, I'd like to remind you that not all of us have seen the Infinity Wars trailer. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about myself here, so thanks for uh, making me feel bad. <laughs> yeah, but Todd's speaking to Anna, Scott, and I, who, who, oh, have, right. who okay. have seen the Infinity Sorry. War trailer. <laughs> but, it, I mean... I know I what was, you mean. I, I know what you mean. But I was talking about something that, as far as I know, is like readily available. I know I know what you're talking Regardless about. Regardless of seeing of, it, I mean, you, you, of, know, you know what characters are in Infinity Wars. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But uh, everyone and their like brother. Their yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I'm in Infinity War. You are. Point. You are. So. Oh, that's who that was. All right. Well, yeah. let me, let me, yeah. Scott. I know. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, there's obviously a level of dynamism that separates the Avengers versus the, you know, these the Defenders. But I think the, I mean, that's something you know going in because these are always been like these street level heroes where their power. I mean, Daredevil obviously has powers, and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones are, you know, they're just superhuman strong, and Iron Fist has Glow Fist. Um, which is super handy, um, but oh, they but they're all brawlers. I mean, that's the kind of the the nature of these heroes. They're all street level vigilantes, and I think the separation. And obviously, it's the same with Avengers. They all have different personalities, but they have different personalities here within the Defenders. That's what makes them unique amongst each other. Where like Luke Cage mm. has this nobility uh, that makes him you know work the way he does. Iron Fist has this kind of level of um, duty and honor and dedication to. Um, his, you know, his, the, the mystical ways of his own. Jessica Jones is, you know, this alcoholic private eye detective, and the Daredevil has this kind of, you know, he he mixes his Catholic guilt with his, you know, the burden of <laughs> the burden of having these abilities and doing what he thinks is right. So, I mean, there's, I think that's the the idea that they're going after uh, versus whatever the hand is, you know, representing to as a force against them. I, I get what you're saying as far as like powers and what you're being able to see on the screen. But I think that's the the idea behind the defenders is more based off of these different ter- character types uh, coming together as opposed to these wildly different superpowers that are coming together. Fair enough. Okay. What was the other? I'm uh, wrong. I give up. Babe. <laughs> Todd, Stop you're, yelling. Todd, you're not wrong. You're not. You're never wrong, buddy. Here's another I, warm hug. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, what was so the much. other uh, show that you watched, Aaron? Oh, uh, the other show I watched. I watched the first two episodes of Get Shorty. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, with Chris O'Dowd. Yeah, Chris O'Dowd, uh, the TV series. Um, it's it's good so far. Like, it's it's a fine, like, hey, it's a crime, dark comedy Station show. Stuff? What? It's on Epics. Epic, right. Yeah, okay. I think this is their first show, if I'm not mistaken, or at least their most notable one. Um, but it... I, I'm a huge fan of Get Shorty the movie, as well as just Enter, Enter, Omar Leonard, um, you know, kind of works being adapted in general. Um, and I would say this doesn't really have that feel to it, which is the only kind of pause I have. Like, it's good as a show, but not necessarily good as an Elmore Leonard show. And compared to something like Justified, which is, you know, fantastic, I'm like, well, it's, it doesn't have that kind of the, the crackle of that dialogue going on. And I don't know if it's going to ramp up suddenly, but it, it uh, it's just, it's, it's not quite hitting what I 
would have liked for a show that's adapted from an Elmore Leonard novel. Uh, it, it, all right. So to step in, just to let you know, just so so someone doesn't comment and be like, oh, no, you're wrong. There, This is the third show on Epics. The first okay. was Berlin Station. The second was Graves. Ah, okay. And now oh, yeah, Death okay, Shorty. Yeah, the, Nick, the Nick Nolte one is Graves. And, yeah. Okay. So I think what the problem is with – no, no problem. I figured it just – I know someone's going to comment and tell you that you're wrong. So I figured we'll we'll stop them. We'll beat them to the punch. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm curious about this show as well, but I avoided it because of the simple fact that I feel like it won't be able to live up to the movie. Yeah, and I mean that's – the vibe that I'm getting so far, uh, it's and it's not like a direct adaptation. It's sort of like the how the Fargo series is more Fargo in spirit than it is like an adi- a, a readaptation of the same exact story. Um, that said, the Fargo series works like that really. Right. You know, it's it's really great. Like it, it feels like something out of the the world of the Coen Brothers and like they're you know they're they're producers on that show and what have you. This feels less less of the case. Um, so it. I'll, I'll see where it goes. I don't know if I'll stick with it, but we'll see, I guess. That was on a quickies. Tim. Let's move on now. Let's get to trailer talk. We're talking about some of the newest movie trailers of the week, what we thought of it, when they're coming out, what have you. Um, and first up, we have the trailer for Molly's Game. Um, this is, speaking of uh, adaptations and directorial debuts and what have you, this is the first directorial effort from Aaron Sorkin, theatrical directorial effort from Aaron Sorkin, um, who obviously, you know, written many of acclaimed screenplays in the past few years, Social Network, uh, yeah, what's the one that just had Steve Jobs? Um, you know, plenty of things. Now we have Molly's Game, which stars um, Jessica Chastain as a like a brilliant poker player or like pro- poker advisor um, who gets involved in the, the lives of Hollywood celebrities who play poker, as well as more nefarious pe- types. Uh, I think that's an easy way to kind of pare it down. Let's start with uh, let's start with uh, Todd. What do you think of the trailer for Molly's Game? Um, I will tell you that I have, uh, I just watched it a few minutes ago for the first time and, uh, I love Jessica Chastain. Uh, I think she, uh, there are, are, are not a whole lot of actresses. I feel like right now for better, for worse that exude the kind of automatic authority that she has created in the various roles that she has played thus far. Um, when you see her on screen and, and, and sort of watching it, the part that I'm not sure that I, I mean, they were, they, they, she's a, I believe a, a former, the character is is based on a person who was a former Olympic skier. Is that right? Yes. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There was something in the, in the trailer that said something about, I don't know if she had done some like stripping or something like that. Is that true? They called her like a pole dancer, but I don't know if that was a reference. I don't see that. I just see the Olympic skier thing. Okay. Um, But you know, I don't know. I was like, I was like, I'm not sure that part of it. I was, I was as convinced by. Um, But again, I could have just like, (laughs) I was like watching it, and maybe I missed the the description. Maybe I misunderstood the description of it. Um, But I mean, like she, she looks badass. Like I like the uh, the ensemble, uh, or I like the the sort of. It seems almost uh, not not quite Ocean's Eleven uh, ish nature of it, where you actually have like these celebrities playing celebrities in there. I, I like that <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, but uh, but I mean, like you know, I'm 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 always in, and I can only imagine how um, how many walk uh, walk and talks there there might be in this movie. So I, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. How about you, Scott? What do you think of the trailer? 
Uh, well, I'm really excited, and not to brag, but uh, you, you pick both trailers that are for movies that are going to be at TIFF, which is just, what, two weeks away. So I'm, like, so excited because I'm going to be able to see them. You I, bastard. I, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm a huge fan of Aaron Sorkin. Um, from newsroom to social uh, social uh, network to you know even the the baseball movie which I can't remember the title Moneyball Moneyball Money, Moneyball, Moneyball yeah um, which I didn't think I would like because I hate baseball but yet that movie was somewhat interesting and I'm I'm with Todd I'm like all in with uh, Jessica Chastain I, I think she she elevates every role that she's in to another level. I mean, even in mediocre movies like Snow, Snow White and the Huntsman, or whatever the hell that movie was, the the sequel that the, no one cares about. The shoes in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, I know the second one. I don't know, remember even what the hell the name of that movie was. Winter's Just, War. It was it was Winter's the one War, on her Universal contract. Right, exactly. She looks captivating in the movie. Um, she owns like the screen every time she's on it, and I feel like just like Miss Sloan from last year. This might be one of those movies that has the same type of vibe to it. I feel like with Aaron Sorkin's writing, it'll be a lot more interesting than Miss Sloan because Miss Sloan to me was like a slow burn. But like if you you kind of went along with it, you you would get the payoff. But this one, because of Sorkin, there's going to be a lot going on. You're going to be you know intrigued to keep going on, and uh, this also looks like finally. In a, in a very long time, a decent role for uh, Idris Elba. Um, I feel like he might actually steal the show in certain uh, spots of this movie. Hmm. Yeah, that was all right. Uh, I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously, I'm a fan of uh, of <laughs> of uh, Aaron Sorkin as well. Um, Moneyball is something I actually just watched pretty recently as well. You're a huge uh, fan but, of Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, pretty much because I, I always seem to be quoting a few good men. But with that being said, I'm curious about his directorial debut, theatrical directorial debut. So I'm going to be curious how he handles that aspect of the thing. Uh, I mean, it looks fine from what I'm seeing in the trailer, but that's how the trailer is cut. So um, in terms of the the cast itself, I'm a big fan of Idris Elba as well. But I love seeing Jeremy Strong in things and him just having this like super weak throw at at, uh, Jessica Chastain just made me laugh. Um, but no, I love him in uh, The Big Short. And you didn't mention case, when we uh, talked about Detroit. Was he in Detroit? He's the lawyer. He's the good lawyer, not Jim Halpert on the other side. Oh, dude, I totally did not even catch that. I was because the last thing that I remember seeing him in was the movie with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and the um, Judge. The Judge, yeah. Oh. So, I was like, that wasn't a great Jeremy Strong outing, but I know that he can be much better. And then along came. Uh, 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 the big short. big short, but I'll be excited to see what this one's all about because the cast here looks pretty terrific. Yeah, you have a bunch of good people and Kevin Costner, so we'll see what happens there. Um, <laughs> I, As her lawyer, perhaps. Idris Elba's her lawyer. Uh, oh, they, they seem to not go with Kevin Costner very much, which kind of amused me because I didn't realize he was in it until like at the very end. We're like, oh, Kevin Costner, okay. Um, oh, I did. I did want to add to that. It was funny because the the first time I think you really see him in the trailer, he's like sitting on a on a park bench and like yeah. yep. with like a, a, a scarf wrapped around him. I'm like, is this what he's going to do now? I mean, like, it's like he started it, this. It worked you know, for Jack Ryan. Yeah, but to me, like playing like the 
sort of shady in terms of mysterious sort of authority figure imparting wisdom um, to what end? Uh, I, I mean, if that's his, if that's going to be his like sort of block for the rest of his career, that's fine. But um, it's funny he could apply some of those adjectives to his role as Pa Kent in Man of Steel. <laughs> oh, indeed, yeah. you absolutely could. Um, you know, if if that means that I see less of Kevin Costner on screen, despite him being in a movie, I'm not <laughs> I'm not against that. But, um, wow, Scott, I'm not a big uh, fan of Kevin Costner. I don't know if you've, if you've I made see that. that. Clear. <laughs> I see that. Yeah. Uh, no, the Sorry trailer. I mean, the up. trailer's fine. I'm I'm with Abe. Where I I mean. I'm looking forward to the movie because I like Aaron Sorkin. I appreciate what he does as you know a writer and whatnot. But I'm very curious what his you know directorial film would be like. Um, I'd say he probably has some notes from you know some of the better filmmakers in Hollywood. So I, I'm not expecting you know to be unwatchable by any means. Um, and Scott, you mentioned Miss um, Sloan. That's a movie where I thought it was okay. And I feel like having Aaron Sorkin in a movie that seems to be replicating a similar tone to that film. Seems like, all right, now we just have that movie again, but with a much better writer. So I'll be kind of happy with the results this time around as opposed to, you know, begrudgingly accepting of them. So, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this as a Aaron Sorkin project. And yeah, you mentioned Andrew's Elba. That's another one that, you know, always works for me. Michael Sarah apparently uh, is a well, big time hold on, player. Hold on, I got to tell you something. Uh-huh. Yeah. The runtime is two hours and 20 minutes. Uh, Aaron, you uh, we'll see what happens here, buddy, but we might be calling you out here for editing. <laughs> well, I, there was also I don't know if this is true or not, but my friend was telling me the other day and actually I think he called us out on Twitter about it was that um, apparently Sorkin fired the editor in post. Don't, okay. yeah, don't, don't quote me on this. So we'll be we'll be curious to see how this holds up. All right. That's, uh, that's comforting. <laughs> uh, Molly's game arrives in theaters uh, November 22nd. Wanted to get released. Yeah, it'll be at TIFF as well in a couple weeks in September. Um, mm. I want to talk about one other trailer. Um, this is The Death of Stalin. This is the film from uh, director Armando Iannucci, um, who uh, created the show In the Thick of It, which um, had a mm-hmm. spin off movie called In the Loop, which I'm a huge fan of, and also created Veep, which is currently in America with uh, Julia Reed Dreyfus and you know, plenty of other people. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about this trailer both because he and Sorkin have a very I'm not going to say similar writing style, but they certainly have a way with words as far as kind of fast-paced dialogue full of all kinds of things going on. Um, but obviously, Iannucci leans more towards the satirical comedic side. And uh, this film, uh, it's based off, uh, I mean, it's a comedy, but it's it's inspired by the events that happened after the death of Stalin. <laughs> and it features a huge, it has Steve Buscemi, Jeffrey Tambor, Michael Palin, Patty Considine, uh, Jason Isaacs, uh, just a whole bunch of people, and what looks like a kind of, uh, it has the same kind of docu- like pseudo-documentary style that Veep and In the Loop have, um, and yeah, I just, I saw this, I thought it was hilarious, I'm a huge fan of Veep and the Loop, I'm a huge fan of Iannucci's work in general, so I wanted to know what you guys thought, How, let's start with Scott this time, what do you think of this movie, this trailer? Can I be honest? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And say that my first reaction was, this is the whitest movie ever. <laughs> That was literally the first, like, when I was halfway through the trailer, I was like, wow, this is such a white people movie. Um, but, <laughs> but with that being said, um, I agree with you. Uh, Aaron, I, I really liked In in the Loop. Uh, I thought that was great. Um, and I watched this trailer twice because the first time I was kind of like half paying attention to it. And then I watched it right before the podcast. And um, I do I do think it's going to be one of those films that 
is going to appeal to a very small audience. Um, and those who are very big on like politics and satirical side of that. And I think the cast looks great. Um, I, this looks like a movie that should go to like various film festivals, which again, that's why it's going to one, but I don't think it's going to really become much of anything here in the United States. Fair enough. Todd, what'd you think? Um, it made me laugh out loud. That was actually, that's a, I mean, I, it's yeah. funny that that seems like such a low threshold, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, like, and, and, and I don't even mean it that way, but it's like, you know, I, I watched it and I was like, oh, this is really funny. Like I, I, uh, um, I really like the, this when, when it's, when it's really sharp and Ianucci, you know, is like razor sharp with his sort of political edged comedy. Um, I was, uh, I, 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 that's kind of stuff that is totally in my wheelhouse in terms of my interest. But, um, but I thought, uh, I mean, it looks great. I, you know, in the loop, I remember liking, but not loving. And then, and I think maybe it's entirely possible that there's a, that like our political climate, uh, has changed so sharply, even since that movie came out that like, it might, it might resonate with me now, but I mean, like a movie like four Alliance is, I mean, it's one of my favorite movies of, yeah. I think it was 2010 when that came out and, and the sort of gallows humor, but it's very incisive and sharp. Um, and at the same time, like broad, like to me, I don't know that there's that, that is like exactly the kind of movie that, that I think that, uh, resonates with me right now. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't think of a movie like this in terms of going like, oh wow, that's really a, a powerful metaphor for what's going on in our country, <laughs> or you know, anything like that. But I do think of it as like, I was like, I kind of love this, uh, you know, sort of the the smartest kind of buffoonery of these politicians, uh, sort of collected in one. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about. It. I haven't watched. Uh, look, you know, the Veep is a show that I watched like a couple seasons of and I really liked. And then I was like, oh, I should keep going. And then I just never kind of did. But every time I see like an ad for it, like I want to watch it. And, and I feel like it's the same with this, like where I'm like, oh, this is yeah, this seems like straight up like something I would I would really enjoy. That's an interesting point you make about kind of the the use of broad comedy within the because it, I mean. Ianucci's not above that. Like, I mean, I, I think there, yeah. you know, we can kind of you can characterize it as someone that has, yeah, sharp kind of political satire going on but there i mean there's a scene in in the loop where like one of the act like the actors like her teeth start bleeding and it becomes this whole thing between like the conversation they're having and it's just like really funny because of the visual gag going on not just because of like how funny the dialogue is and even like <laughs> veep has plenty of stuff of, like matt walsh just being just an idiot walking around in general <laughs> where, like, he's trying to do a good job <laughs> yeah where, where it's, it's hardly focused on how clever the writing is, or how clever the dialogue is it's just more about how like silly these people look doing things or just like simply like running down a hall at a certain time it's just like stuff like that yeah. that plays well which is why you know that's why i kind of match these trailers together because you can look at a lot of sorkin's work where the, yes the dialogue's great but there's a lot of kind of screwball comedy going on as well and i think that both of these kind of emulate the that aspect of it uh, just quick thoughts before i get to abe I, I i agree i've already said that i think this movie looks pretty hilarious uh i i I feel like I don't see Steve Buscemi enough on screen these days, especially because he had Boardwalk Empire for like a good chunk of years there. But now, you know, having him as Nikita Khrushchev in the star of a Nianucci movie, that just makes me very happy. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this quite a bit. Abe, how about you? I love everyone know Iannucci's work, and I love Veep. And I remember watching this trailer before we were going to talk about it, and I was uh, really kind of begrudgingly 
thinking to myself, oh, Jason Isaacs, this is going to be something like super heavy handed Academy Award. Like uh, they're trying to win some awards here toward award season. And then I watched it. And I was like, this is fucking hilarious. And I was just really on board with it. And what I loved about it is that nobody has a nobody has an accent. Everyone's just like doing their regular Jeffrey Tambor right. voice or uh, Jason Isaac's voice, which is I'm glad to hear because he's, he's just a British guy. But he's always besides being Lucius Malfoy, I think that he does a lot of like American accents. Um, and again, I think that the 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 knife that really gets you is just like how Anucci really understands the nuance of political speak and how he just really knows how to uh, to rib you in the right way. So I'm looking forward to it. And I agree with Scott that perhaps it's not going to be for everybody. You're going to see it in a lot of maybe festival uh, circuits. But um, I would encourage people to go see it. If you love Veep and if you've loved anything that uh, Ianucci has done, you should go see it. Well, uh, there's no actual release date yet for um, The Death of Stalin. Oh, dare they. I know it comes out in overseas in October. It's at TIFF, like we've mentioned. In September, um, I'd like to think it'll come out before the end of the year, but I'm not, you know, honestly, I'm just not sure. Um, so we'll see. It's, it depends on how well received it is at the festivals. Yeah, I would that's, think because it might it might premiere in another one too. You know, it might go to AFI here. Mm-hmm. It really depends on what the studio. I don't. Do we even know what studio is doing it? Um, uh, not here because yeah, there's no mm. distribution yet. I think for it for uh, yeah yeah. Uh, IFC, sorry sorry so sorry. It, I, IFC films. IFC films has it. Yeah, and you never know with them yeah. because sometimes they can put it out right away or they can delay it for years. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah, we'll see. How dare they? But I am looking forward to it. So, um, All right. Well, that's trailer talk. Let's move on now. Let's get to our main review for Logan Lucky. Charlotte Motor Speedway. I know how they move the money. The only guy who knows anything about blowing up real bank vaults is Joe Bang. I am incarcerated. Yeah, we got a plan to get you out. Well. Coca-Cola 600 is the biggest race of the year. We need a computer whiz. I know everything there is to know about computers, okay? All the Twitters, I know them. Welcome to the Coca-Cola 600. Now, how many yards away is the vault? 20 yards. I don't know, maybe 30. Is it 20 or is it 30? We are dealing with science here. That should have been some of the trailer for Logan Lucky. Four years ago, Academy Award winning director Steven Soderbergh announced he was retiring from filmmaking. Fed up with the studio system, he moved on to TV for a couple seasons of The Nick with Clive Owen and worked on some personal projects which largely meant creating experimental re-edits of classic films. This year, however, Soderbergh has returned. Taking on a script written by Rebecca Blunt, supposedly a pseudonym for someone else, possibly Soderbergh's own wife, Jules Asner, we now have Logan Lucky, a heist movie set in the South, starring Channing Tatum and Adam Driver as brothers who concoct a plot to rob the Charlotte Motor Speedway. They recruit numerous colorful characters, including Daniel Craig's Joe Bang, to hopefully pull off a heist that will get them the big bucks. Said to be the anti-glam version of Ocean's Eleven. Let's start with Todd. What did you think of uh, Logan Lucky? I actually liked it a lot. Um, although, uh, what's sort of interesting is that it feels like, I, I sort of was describing it to someone, is it feels like four-thirds of a movie. Uh, in, that, in that the idea of the heist becomes sort of 
in a way less important as the movie goes on, uh, or at least maybe sort of um, after the resolution of the heist in a way. Um, and I and I really like that um, uh, because it starts off and it's so sort of methodically paced in terms of building. Uh, I mean, it seems perfectly suited to the uh, sort of southern locale, quite frankly. Um, but then uh, the more you sort of begin to learn about the characters and sort of how the again, how the high sort of resolves itself. And then the aftermath of that actually became very interesting to me. And uh, and that was a part of it that sort of like elevated it beyond um, you know, I mean, they, even in the movie, there's a point when they call it like Ocean 7 and 11, you know, and right. I thought that was a great uh, little, you know, punchline in the movie. But I'm like, that's exact. I mean, that's that is the selling. That's the way it's sold. And I was and I was very happy to see that the movie um, skillfully moved beyond that without like going, oh, well, this is noble. It just was like something that I think was that gave the characters more depth and humanity. I mean, again, um, you know, you have. Uh, Channing Tatum and, and Adam Driver, I think their accents are okay. Joe Bang, uh, I mean, uh, Daniel Craig is Joe Bang. I thought was um, very, I, I thought he was actually really good. And, and it seemed like, it seemed like he was having fun in the right way. Like it wasn't the, um, I'm just going to go for broke and be like weird and, and crazy. It was, it was actually a character that had some substance to it. Um, not just because he actually knows science when it comes to explosions, but, you know, like, but in general, like sort of watching the way that he like sort of interacts with other people. I mean, you have, uh, there's a, there's a moment, you know, in the, in the, where they get in the car with, uh, with Channing Tatum's sister played by Riley, uh, Keough and, and he's like, don't peek. And like, they have a shot of her actually peeking, but like, there's a, that's the sort of thing that could be sort of weird and predatory for him to kind of be like lecherous, but instead he's actually sort of genuinely charming. And I feel like that's kind of like what the whole movie does. Like it, it, it sort of threatens to move into caricature territory and then always very smartly pulls back right before it does so and creates like a pretty rich ensemble of characters that I think are actually really interesting and fun to watch as opposed to going like, Oh yeah, these are a bunch of like broad stereotypes that I find one dimensional and uninteresting. What about you, Scott? What'd you think of the film? Um, I'm very similar to uh, Todd's initial reaction to the movie, which was I was underwhelmed by the trailer. I went into it not really expecting much, despite, you know, I don't read reviews before I go into it, but I did, you know, I can't help but look at what the rating was on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was at 100% at that point. Um, and I have to say that I thought the movie was good. But not great. I think I feel like our colleagues sometimes are are sometimes digging a little bit because, oh, stuff hasn't come out that has been that great. And everyone, you know, for the most part, likes Steven Soderbergh. Um, but I would say this is very much like, you know, for a lack of better term. And I know a lot of people have coined this the redneck Ocean's Eleven, but that's kind of what it felt like to me um, going more into the film itself. um I would say that the beginning was a little draggy. Like I felt like it, like it was a little slow. And, um, but as, as Todd pointed out, um, the characters themselves kind of helped the movie a lot more than the actual story being told. Cause I feel like the story being told is you like, you've seen it before, but this is probably one of the 
best performances from Adam Driver. I'm not really a big fan of his, um, and I really liked him in this movie. Um, and you know, Channing Tatum, you know, he, he's always interesting because again, I'm not wowed by him ever, but I always feel like you know he sometimes impresses me, and he did a good job here doing that. Um, but for me personally, it was it was Daniel Craig's Joe Bang. Um, just because it's something that I felt was something that I never expected to see from Craig as an actor. And uh, he wasn't over the top. He pulled it off really well. Millie, what did you do? Well, hello. I guess someone grew up. What's your name again, little Logan? Melly. Melly. Melly, Melly, Melly. That rhymes with smelly. Nice. Shut up. There's clothes for you both in the bag, and Clyde, I put something special in there for you. Thanks, Mel. And I would say, once you get past the first 30 minutes of this movie, I think things start picking up a little bit, and uh, the part near the the last, like, 90-minute mark, 92, the, the final 30 minutes, I felt was, like, really, really strong. Um, but it is much more about characters than it is about the heist, which I give it a lot more credit for. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. How about you, Abe? Yeah, I really liked it as well. Uh, I would agree that perhaps I didn't love it, but I really enjoyed myself watching it. Um, and I agree with Scott that it's probably because you've probably seen stuff like this with Soderbergh before. You've seen heist movies that he's done and the way that he, uh, the way that he constructs it is not uh, out of the ordinary. So um, watching Logan Lucky, I kind of knew where it was going to go just in terms of, okay, well, they're going to show me uh, how this got pulled off and and uh, all the other nuances that I didn't see already, even though there's clues along the way, which you do pick up. But um, I also agree with Todd and Scott that it's very much more of a character piece than it is about the heist itself, which I appreciated quite a bit. Um, I think that there's uh, the actress there that plays his daughter. I don't know her name, but she's really um, she's really she she helps you become really attached to the Channing Tatum character uh, and see that, you know, it's just his father trying to do well for his daughter and provide for her um, in a in a non like uh, evil way, you know. But um, what I really liked about it is that they do uh, take jabs at themselves like. Soderbergh takes jazz at himself of just like, you know, yeah, this is my Ocean 7-Eleven. Um, but I, I actually really liked Adam Driver in this role, uh, kind of just like as a quirky uh, bartender brother, but at the same time, pretty knowledgeable about things. Um, and there were a lot of laugh out loud moments, uh, especially that uh, that chemistry sequence with Joe Bang, which um, a lot of people laughed at. And also oh, yeah. there was a, a, a really neat reference that happens in a in a, a penitentiary cafeteria that people were just like rolling on the floor for in my screening. Um, but um, the other thing I want to really echo is what Todd had mentioned, which is I'm glad they didn't go into caricature, which I don't think Steven Soderbergh ever really does. But at the same time, that's kind of what I was the most fearful about when I was watching the trailers. It's just like, oh, OK, well, this is going to be a, this funny movie about people set in West Virginia or in uh, uh, North Carolina and it's just going to be about like another slapstick comedy Ricky Bobby ish type character but no it's actually uh, very meaningful so then when you do see his daughter do something at the talent show you're just like wow I 
I can see why they did that, but at the same time, I wasn't expecting that, and I was really pleased. So uh, as it goes along, it, it certainly does feel much more as a, a more, I guess, humanistic piece. Um, some parts where I think that it kind of dragged a little bit, so that's not a knock. It's just more like maybe like one or two additional scenes may have been cut, but could have been cut. But on the whole, I really enjoyed it. It was a good viewing experience. Uh, I'm more or less with you guys. I think I like it a little bit more just because I had a lot of fun with this movie. I didn't really find it slow necessarily because I really enjoyed watching these characters. And as far as the construction of the film, I like that it. I like that it's kind of Soderbergh in that more, that more indie vibe as opposed to kind of his bigger budget efforts, especially when it comes to like the Ocean's films, which are you know those are bigger expenditures on Soderbergh's part. But it feels like it is. It's not just you know constructed as a as far as the characters go as a quote-unquote redneck oceans 11 but it has the kind of low down laid back feel of his you know his smaller films um and it reflected in even just how he decided to do it where again he's shooting it himself he's editing it himself um and just the kind of the the lack of big production values aside from the the location of the charlottesville speed or the the, the charlotte speedway uh, i think it 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 has this kind of great look and vibe to it that I, I think speaks to the types of characters we're dealing with. And you've, you've both met, you've, you've all mentioned how kind of the characters aren't, they're not driven to caricature because we get enough of who they are individually that works. And I, that's part of what I really like about this movie. There's not really an antagonist here. Um, you can argue, I guess Seth MacFarlane comes the closest, but he's like, he's more of a, just an obstacle as opposed to like an outright bad. There's no like Andy Garcia character in this movie. Um, yeah, and, I like that too. Yeah, and it's it's that's a neat way to take it, where it's not about you know we're trying to pull off this con to do ought to offset these other you know some specific individual. It's just we're trying to you know do something, and even you know the the way it resolves itself, it's there's not really any harm done to anybody, um, which I thought was an interesting approach for a movie like this. I mean, compared to something that has you know more of a criminal element to it, this is more of like let's just do this thing and see if it works out, and you know whether or not it does. I liked how it result. I like the kind of the results of it. I like the the way these characters get paid off in various ways, as far as where their story takes them. And yeah, individually, I think there's a lot of great performances here. I do think General Craig is obviously a standout, just because he's you know so used to playing Bond or a, more of a straight character. So playing this kind of you know wildly different character that's having a lot of fun on screen that shows that shows really well here. And the same can be said for you know a lot of the other ones. Adam Driver does stick out as well. I, I like Adam Driver quite a bit. I think he's a good actor. I think he has a, a really interesting presence. And this one certainly, this film certainly capitalizes on that. And Channing Tatum, who you know kind of became the kind of the later years muse for Steven Soderbergh, because this is like his fourth film with him. Uh, it he works. He works really well here. I, I do like Abe. You mentioned that relationship between him and his young daughter. Like that's really strong. It really kind of sells the character through that i mean as far as what what he's doing and why he's doing it but just yeah a, a solid ensemble cast all around here there's a lot of you know smaller performances and larger performances that i think work well to what the movie's trying to do um i'm i'm always big on hearing david holmes new scores in Soderbergh movies and so i was very oh, satisfied it's, great. it's a great score oh, yeah, it's a great score it, it, it has this great kind of jazzy upbeat swing vibe to it that I'm always a fan of here, and same with the Oceans film, same with Haywire, same with the the Limey. Like there's just or that Limey's Cliff Martinez, um, but the, still, there's just a lot of just really good stuff in the, in in here as far as the construction of it as well as the characters. Uh, you could say uh, 
it's more Cohen inspired than any other Soderbergh film, I think, as far as the how the characters are played. But the Coens, there's you know more of a mean streak that tends to run through their films. Where this one, like I mentioned, there's no bad guy here, and there's the the like you can easily make fun of like NASCAR as an institution, but the film doesn't. It very much tries to you know, if anything, pay kind of a tribute to NASCAR and that culture and what it means to people as far it's instead of kind of making it into a, a parody of itself or whatnot. And I, I really <laughs> admire that. I thought it did a good job of being this, this film that is very well-intentioned as far as how it's trying to go about itself. I was going to say, to, to your point, I do think, like, the only villains in the movie are, they are their own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, everybody is yeah. sort of their own villain in a way. I mean, like... You know, there is this sort of idea that runs through it. And the reason it's called Logan Lucky is because they, you know, Adam Driver's character talks about this curse that they're that the Logan family seems to suffer under. And um, and, you know, and it's like how much of that. And I think the movie does sort of like in a very understated way, ask, like, you know, how much is this? Uh, how much is this luck, you know, based on a bad convergence of events and how much of is it is based on, you know, our own individual shortcomings and, and foibles in terms of the, 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 the choices that we make. I mean, you know, you talk about like Dwight Yoakam's character and it's sort of like he would ostensibly be the, the villain in this movie. And yet, you know, he is basically through because of his pride essentially undermining the opportunity that there would be to, you know, Great. sort of resolve yeah. this whole situation. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, like his performance is fantastic. You were talking about sort of the supporting performances. I, I sort of tweeted the other day about Catherine Waterston, who has, I mean, it's a tiny part. I mean, it barely yeah, she has like two scenes. Yeah. yeah. But like the scene that she's in with, Channing Tatum that is actually a scene where she actually has lines and everything. I thought she's so fantastic. Um, I think her accent was like just perfect, like in terms of being like small town. Uh, but you know, I mean, that's the thing to me. And again, it's like accents can be how, how much twang do you want to turn up on this? Um, and I do think like the other two, <clears throat> I, I do think um, Adam driver and, and him, they do good different accents. Um, but she, she just comes in and she's adorable. And I think she gives like a really wonderful little performance, uh, that it, it, a wonderful performance in a little role that like un- just showcases how much chemistry she and Channing Tatum have in this sort of amazing moment of, you know, recognition of one another. And, uh, and the movie just kind of moves on. And I was just like, I was like, wait, I want, I want her to come back, come back and. And be in the movie more, you know? I think it comes through in general in a lot of these characters. I mean, even, even something like, well, like, one thing like Tatum and Driver, who do not look like brothers, I think the movie does a good job of showing them be brothers. Like, I think it, you, it's a believable relationship they have between each other. But even, yeah, especially in that first uh, bar fight scene. Yeah. But even something like you mentioned, um, Catherine Waterston, Jane Tatum, Jane Tatum and his ex wife, played by Katie Holmes, that's also like a neat relationship where you, you can get why they're not together anymore. You can, you can get that they were like high school romances and then they fell apart just because of like the the types of people they are. But like even in their interactions and what they want to do for their daughter, like that works. Um, the I mean, but plenty of the others, the 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 you know the I guess the Casey Affleck and Scott Conroles played by Jack Quaid and Brian Gleason. They're like they're they're fun here. They they work yeah. and they and I mean I mentioned Daniel Craig already. 
or even something like what Katie Holmes' new husband in the movie played by David Nenna. Roy? Yeah, played by Roy from The Office. <laughs> Roy from The Office? Yeah. And then there was also Jim, or not Jim, from uh, Parks and Rec. Jerry from Parks and Rec? Uh-huh. No, there's just yeah. a lot of like small roles, I think, that all factor in well and like feel like lived in. I mean, I guess. And I think that that's really like a Soderbergh touch is just, hey, let me get some high-profile actors and actresses. And yeah, high-profile, just character list. actors for the most part. Character actors, sure. I actually have a question for you guys. What do you guys think of the Hilly Swank character, and where do you think that's going to go, perhaps? I like how the film doesn't choose to embarrass her, because she plays like a special agent that's looking into things. And th- there's a way where... It could have made her come off as like, oh, she's just she, she. It could have made her come off as like John Hamm in the town, where he's just like, he seems like he has authority, but he's really just kind of dumb for not get, figuring things out sooner. Um, yeah, I think the film the film could have you know had her as this kind of like a, like a foil that's somewhat dimwitted, but instead it gives her plenty of intelligence and she gets things, but it's a matter of like red tape and how to handle a situation, and I think she handles the character she's yeah. given her and Macon Blair as her partner by the way it was like oh Macon Blair's here that's yeah, great Macon Blair I, I it's like I, I think that that at that aspect that kind of you know comes in towards the you know the later parts of the movie I think it works I think it plays well yeah no I think I would agree with that I think um I think the idea that you have in her and uh Macon Blair's character like these sort of very competent individuals who are in you know who figure things out you know, pretty much completely who Mm -hmm. are effectively like sort of stymied by sort of bureaucracy and self-interest again, sort of like, uh, you know, the, 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 the resolution of the, of the heist and everything is, is such that you're like, Oh, okay. Well, no, they, they straight up figured this, this, this thing out, but like what exactly is going to come of it. And I think that like leaving that sort of open-ended, there's a part of me that, that wonders if, uh, I mean, like it could be her going, well, I'm going to figure this out even just for my own edification. I could be trying yeah. to trying to figure it out to actually prosecute the case. Or it also could be like, you know, uh, these people who are uh, seemingly not very smart and un- and quote unquote unlucky seem to have gotten away with something. And I kind of admire that. You well, know? So I, 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 I'm sure in Logan's 12, we'll get a better answer for Logan's <laughs> 12. <laughs> Logan Luckier is what it is. So. <laughs> right. Um, I wanted to mention. I wanted to mention. I wanted to mention one other thing because um, I seeing Soderbergh come back uh, to make another movie. Obviously, he's doing it more on a. You know, this is almost an indie film. It's from Bleecker Street Studio. Like it's it's not a you know high profile film or what have you. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's very much him avoiding the studios essentially to an extent, uh, or you know bigger studios anyway. Um, but I was curious, like, what that was going to mean as far as, like, is there going to be a, another message in this movie? Is there going to be something going on of him commenting on what he thinks of Hollywood at this point or what have you? And in addition to kind of the, I guess, the nature of these characters, which I think obviously, honestly, reflects a lot of what we saw in, like, Hell or High Water as well. Kind of the the, the, the class of, of characters here and what they're doing and how that's really affecting the people around them. Basically, it's not really affecting the people around them as far as who's kind of being gotten in this scenario. Uh, compared to, you know, the banks or the government or what have you. Uh, but you have basically all of Soderbergh's motivations seem entirely wrapped up in Sebastian Stan's character, which I found to be hilarious. He he plays like a race car driver who, like, came out of retirement because he was so fed up with things. He, like, explains all this in, like, one, like, news monologue that he's given to, like, a reporter. And I was like, this is, I, I thought this was pretty funny just because, like, this is entirely Soderbergh's, like, message. But he's just, like, kind of pushing it off to the side to one side character that doesn't really matter. 
I I thought that was neat. I, I thought that was a nice touch. Absolutely, and I think I mean you know at the same time like that, it's it's funny how deep the bench is on this movie. You know where you have a character like that who's <clears throat> so peripherally involved in the movie. I mean, in terms of what actually like the the most relevant events in the movie and uh, and how he just sort of comes through and like you're like, oh, that guy's like, I mean, it's funny because he they sort of make fun of him a little. I mean, he you know, it's a character that can be made fun of a little bit. I mean, talking about like, oh, the software that I feed my body, I consider my food software. (laughs) And you're just like. Uh, of course it does, <laughs> you know, but, but it's, but it, you know, it's meant to be funny, but, but I'll say, you know, another thing that, that, um, to me, I feel like it is when you think back at like magic Mike, I think this is sort of a combination of like the oceans movies and magic Mike. And, and the thing about magic Mike, uh, to me that I always thought was really interesting was that that movie sort of circumvents traditional, like narrative beats like throughout its entire runtime. It doesn't mean that like there aren't those things where he loses his money and like they have the experience where they go to the, the sorority party where they get in a fight and all these other things. But like the movie doesn't dwell on it. It doesn't fall into this very obvious rhythms throughout. It just kind of like yeah. has, this is the life of these people and this is what they encounter. And those things don't need to be melodramatic. They can have moments of drama and I think that like that's sort of the way I mean, like you watch uh, Ocean's Eleven and it's meticulously constructed. I mean, at most uh, they're, they're all that way. Um, and this movie, I think, is very ex- well constructed as well. But it's much uh, more willing to sort of linger on just sort of, again, moments of humanity and just sort of like what's going on in these people's lives rather than say like, oh, we have to hurry through the plot. And I actually think that's. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that may be sort of Soderbergh's MO going forward, like as, as a storyteller, which I think is like not just, you know, unique, but I think it's like really interesting because I just remember really liking, I'm like, Oh, it's like every moment in magic Mike to me, was like, Oh, well this, the next scene is really when the, the shit's going to hit the fan. And then, then there's not that moment. Like it just sort of like steers away from it. Oh, okay. Well, his business didn't work out. Is there going to be like a big blow up? Is there going to be a big emotional moment? No, no. It's just because that's sort of, I mean, it's much more, I think, sort of true to life. Right. Uh, and I think that um, while there are obviously some clever twists and turns, um, you know, in in Logan Lucky and, and it has its own um, need to be constructed in a very meticulous way. I think that like his execution makes it feel very sort of relaxed, which I think is why. Uh, as Scott was sort of saying, you know, it's like you're you watch sequences like the first the first, you know, little half hour of it where you're sort of like this is kind of unhurried in a way that I'm not sure that I'm necessarily into. And then once it starts taking off and it sort of congeals, you're like, oh, OK, yeah, now now I'm really into this. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it, it's in a weird way. I think it's exactly what he wanted it to be, because. I think he he's probably felt with his studio films that they were more rushed and he couldn't spend as much time on the characters as he would like. And yeah. this one, as you were talking about, you know, everyone was talking about is that even the smallest relationship in this film kind of adds something to the movie. So yeah. everything has a level of substance to it. 
So I think that's kind of what what he was going for. And I think in studio films, they don't allow for that to happen. Like, it's like, well, this is a side character, so we shouldn't worry about that too much. But in this one, he was able to kind of like develop that, even if it's not as fleshed out as he wants, because like we know is that these characters could show up again in another one of his movies and reference in in a different way. So I think, you know, the more I think about this movie, the more I enjoy it. Um, But I I do feel like the, the biggest issue with this is that. Sometimes I watch movies and I don't know if we can all agree on this, but sometimes I watch this and I think like, I don't know if this is made for like a mainstream audience. And as we know, as Soderbergh, he's not like really, he can be a mainstream director, but he can also not be. And I feel like this is one where walks that very fine line in the middle. And that's why I think the movie, besides the marketing not being that great, is kind of like a hit and miss you know, for the box office, because I think people are intrigued enough to see it, but does it have enough mass appeal there that like, we're, we're really breaking this movie apart. Like we're like, Oh, this relationship's here. And I love how this scene ties into this scene and how this character ties into this. But most moviegoers don't do that. We're, we do that because we're all critics. I mean, I would say, I mean, and, if you want to, to speak on that level, I mean, I think yeah. both the majority of you know moviegoers that aren't analyzing films right. in the way that we are, they're not doing it right. maybe openly or in this way, but I think within, you know, within their minds, there's a, you know, subtextual level of like, hey, I'm understanding this and I'm liking these things for these reasons. It's just not a matter of speaking it out loud and breaking it down. Um, yeah, sure. And I can, I can see, I can see what you're saying as far as walking a line between kind of mainstream appeal or what have you. But I do think there's a way to sell a you know a movie with a lot you know it's a it's an adult oriented movie about a bunch of people that are trying to do this especially one that applies to you know more kind of middle America or whatnot as far as paying respect to the population that makes up this film I do think there's a there is an appeal to seeing these actors specifically because these are good actors and they're mostly well known for the most part doing a, a yeah. traditional heist movie I think there's a lot of appeal mm-hmm. there I I'd wish that the you know it's it's not a big studio that we're working out of. It's not a very expensive movie that they made. I can understand why it's, you know, not one that's soaring at the box office, but I, it is the kind of movie I can, I could think would play well to a large audience if they all like knew about this thing and saw like three movies in front of them. I, I think there'd be, you know, people that'd be like, yeah, that sounds good to me. A heist movie with these people in it. Why would I not want to see that? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, just to echo Scott's point there, I, I certainly feel like it, it can straddle that line too. But I agree that the marketing may have just been something that really turns people off. You know, yes. given your scenario there, Aaron, of, uh, yeah, let me put three movies in front of you. Uh, I'm pretty sure that you could sell this one pretty well. But just the way that it is set up, um, not even given the uh, the star power behind it, I think that's pretty strong star power, especially just if you put those names on a poster. I think people would be pretty interested. But I can see where Scott's coming from. Cause, oh, yeah, for sure. I can, uh, I can see where he's coming from. I'm not – I mean, we're reviewing the movie yeah. and not the marketing. <laughs> I get that. Of course not, yeah. We don't know anything about marketing. I don't have $200 million yet. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. Once you get into Scott's but, Tupperware but, but collection, you'll thing. find here's out. The thing, right? Well, here's the thing, right? Like there, there are, I was having this conversation with a friend the other day. There are certain people who go, they don't know anything about movies, right? And they just go into the theater. There's really are old people who do this and they go into the theater and they look at the posters or they ask for like, 
if you notice in most movie theaters, they have the description where mm-hmm. people will read it. And you're right. I think based on that, people will probably say, oh, my gosh, like Daniel Craig's in this Channing Tatum. I, you know, I'll go go see it. But I think, you know, you it's kind of hard to talk about all these things without actually talking about the marketing behind it. That's fair. Because that's ultimately what sells it. Yeah. What, what ultimately sells it. And I just feel like. Every like my wife, who who's a critic too, like she had zero interest in seeing this because she's like, I don't want to see this. That was her reaction right after the trailer. And we all know that you can't judge a movie by its trailer, but people do, and it's notoriously has led to movies flopping really hard at the box office because mm-hmm. of which. So that's why I just had to bring that up. No, oh, for sure, I get sure. it, and I appreciate that. Um, I see. I pulled up Cinema Score because I was curious, and Logan Lucky has a B. Not not a Ooh, great cinema score. Not, not, not a great cinema score. It's not you know it's not the be all end all, but you know that does you know it's pretty reflective. Right. Generally. It's kind of indicative. Yeah, and that said, In case, um, that, that 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 said though, Hitman's Bodyguard, which I completely forgot about because see, I was going to bring oh, that up in quickies. Everyone did. Don't worry about it. Because it's, <laughs> no, it's not very good. That has a B plus. But like that's how, uh, that's how little that movie mattered to me though, where I forgot to bring about it in our quickie section where we talk about movies we've seen yeah. recently. <laughs> that's how like that's how forgettable that movie was to me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't forget about it, unfortunately, but I just, I just, I still can't believe it's number one at the box office. I, it's really just, you know, that, that rat, here's rat, an argument rat. what we can talk about too. Like, right here, you're talking about star power, right? So in that movie, you have Samuel L. Jackson, you have Ryan Reynolds, okay? Uh, up until, you know, Deadpool, I wouldn't say that Ryan Reynolds really sold movies. You know, like he had so many movies where they were really kind of like under the radar. Accurate. Pretty, pretty, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's um, we, and, and then, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson, but he's he's had, you know, his his like his career is like a roller coaster, right? It's like he has highs, he has lows, and she's up and down. But this movie is kind of surprising because if you go on that based on who's in it, this one should have came out ahead because of like the actors who are in it have had bigger box office success yet nobody like not as many people are saying i shouldn't say nobody but not as many people are saying well, it's, i mean it's the it's the dead of it's the end of summer movie era which is where samuel L. jackson lead role movies tend to fall into. <laughs> um, regardless we're not talking about hitman's bodyguard movie's forgettable i don't need <laughs> um, <You know? laughs> let's let's wrap up with logan we talk about logan lucky a while where this is how we do our rating on this show scott when, when should people go and see this movie oh um do, do, do. Uh, I would. I'm going to say that you should see it in a theater, but I would say a matinee. Fair enough, uh, Todd. Yeah, I, I think I do think it's a um, a good, you know, I think it's a good movie to see in the afternoon. I, but I but I, I would say like if you're if you're playing hooky from work during the week. Or, you know, perhaps if you were, were unceremoniously laid off from the job that you had, <laughs> um, then, you know, like going, oh, the hell with it. I'm going to go to a, like a two o'clock movie. What should I go see? Logan Lucky. That's what I should go see. Like, I think that's a you're going to have a good experience. These answers yeah, fit yeah. the vibe of the characters involved in the movie. <laughs> Very, <laughs> much so. Very much so. I'd say Dollar Theater. Uh, yeah, I think it's a movie to see in theaters. I, I think it's a it's a solid, enjoyable movie, especially towards the end of the summer here. We've already had a lot of really good movies, I think, this summer. Uh, this is like, oh, okay, this is a nice way to cap it off. Um, all right, well, that was our thoughts on Logan Lucky. Uh, let's move on now, guys. Let's get to uh, let's get to feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over some of the various questions and answers from our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash/outnowpodcast. 
We asked a lot of questions. You listeners gave us answers, and then you asked us some questions, and we'll give you some answers. Um, Scott and Todd, feel free to provide any uh, feedback as well as you hear the questions that we're uh, reading out here. Yeah, first question we asked everybody, what is your favorite film about brothers? Jay writes, uh, The Brothers Bloom. Adrian has Stepbrothers. Nippon writes, We Own the Night. Greg has Lost Boys. Christopher has Two Brothers. (laughs) Hehe, it's just called Two Brothers. Chris has Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Are there brothers Justin in that movie? Justin has what's that? Are there brothers in that movie? Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Yeah. I mean in in title. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> uh, Justin has would saving private Ryan count? Yeah, I think sure. it counts. And lastly, right. Philip has Warrior in all caps. You guys have any favorite films about brothers? Brother Bear. Four brothers? <laughs> More bro- yeah, are there, that's another question. Are they are they brothers? Yeah, they are brothers. adopted brothers. They're adopted brothers. How about the Blues Brothers? There you go. Blues Brothers 2000 was on TV last night. It's it's not good. You might be surprised. No, it's not. No, no it's not. <laughs> uh, it is good. You are wrong. I like Blues Brothers a lot. <laughs> Blues Brothers 2000. Oh, I thought. Oh, I thought you, I didn't yeah, hear the 2000, 2000. part. I I yeah. I am no, sorry. Not the original. The original. I apologize. I was. Yeah. I thought there was just some reevaluation of the the original Blues Brothers going on. I was like, "What's happening?" You said two thousand. I did no, not hear no. this. That movie is no, terrible. Do not talk about Blues no. Brothers two thousand. Yeah. Or the Brothers Grimsby. Don't talk about that one either. That's not a good movie either. <laughs> That's not a good movie. I I unfortunately had to watch that. Yes, me too. Let's go on to the next question. I'm, I'm depressed <laughs> talking about this now. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. Favorite Steven Soderbergh film. Uh, Jay writes, "I think Ocean's Eleven is a pretty much perfect movie." Greg writes Out of Sight, still does it for me. Philip writes The Limey. Manish writes Magic Mike. Adam writes Traffic. Justin writes Ocean's Eleven. And Chris writes Ocean's Eleven. Um, I Personally, I'm a huge Out of Sight film. That's one of my favorite movies ever. Um, Traffic is also a huge favorite. I'm a huge Soderbergh fan in general. I can keep listing things. But I was happy to hear The Limey come up because The Limey is fantastic as well. Yeah, Out of Sight is uh, my top five favorite movies of all time. Um and- and 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 the limey is incredible. Actually, I recently watched that. Like, it was inexplicably like chosen for like an indie corner on the on an airplane on a flight that I was on, and I was like, That's "Oh, yeah, flight. I'll rewatch that." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, but it, it was it's it's fantastic. Tell it really me about is about Jenny. <laughs> I would say Aaron Brockovich for me, and believe it or not, Sex Lies and Videotapes. Acclaimed movies. Yeah, good answers. All right, next question we ask everybody, what is your favorite lead character in a Steven Soderbergh film? Tyler has Wilson in The Limey. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Philip has Terrence Stamp in The Limey. Jay writes Jack Foley in Out of Sight. Adam writes George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven. Justin has Danny Ocean. And lastly, Chris has, yeah, Danny Ocean oozes cool. I mean, these are... These are the answers I would have. But Abe, remember when we watched Contagion and we just thought how great of a guy Matt Damon was in that movie? I mean, he was a good father. He's just a good father. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Taking care of his kids. It just felt Making so natural. Daughter, it's like, yeah, yeah he's yeah. just trying to be a good dad in the time, this terrible yeah. time. Uh, Matt Damon in The Informant as well. The is, Informant. Is, you have to say with the exclamation point. At the end of that's, it. that's a good movie poster. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's. I think that's a terrific movie. Uh, and I think that uh, that... His sort of, I mean, again, it's another movie where they like sort of play everything in such a weird, unexpected way uh, to to sort of minimize, 
you know, it's just sort of like a movie about this guy's persistent, the persistence of his delusions. It's, it's a, it's a kind of a remarkable thing. And, and, uh, and it's the kind of, it's kind of movie that I think Damon really excels at that he doesn't get enough credit for. Yeah. yeah, I think Damon's great in that movie. I always thought that was an underrated performance from him because he's, you know, compared you can give dramatic performances all day sure but like that's a very specific type of before where he's like gaining weight he's playing it very the, the humor there is very specific in a role where it's all comedians as the dramatic characters which i was yeah. a neat choice as well <laughs> which basically means they just talk in hushed silence to make it sound more dramatic uh but yeah. It, it's yeah I, I think it's a really great performance i'll say i'll also say vincent cassell in oceans 12 is fantastic <laughs> yeah uh i mean just for the the dance uh, uh, heist scene is alone is so good. Uh, Ellen Barkin in Ocean's 13. I think she's like, Ellen she's Barkin. just sexy as hell in that movie. Like she's kind of amazing. Like, I mean, it's a really interesting character, but, uh, but yeah. And then, you know, Channing Tatum and magic Mike, I think. Oh, and, and even more so maybe Matthew McConaughey and magic Mike. I mean, he's kind of on another level as Dallas. Any other, That's a good uh, point. Um, I was oh, I'm right. Space. There's no other point to be made. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking, like, was that right before his reconnaissance? Or it was within. The, it was in the middle of it. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. So that's a good run for him. Yeah. What was you going to say, Scott? Oh, I was just going to say uh, James Spader as uh, Graham Dalton for right. sure. In Sex Lives Media. And Combo in that movie. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Yes. Um, and then I, I really, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, I was. I think it's just because of how serious Daniel Craig comes off in like interviews and just in every role that I honestly might have to put Joe Bang on this list. It's I a, think that's totally fair. It's a great performance. Yeah, it's a yeah. very good performance. He knows chemistry. He, he even did it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> Next question we have here is a favorite Channing Tatum roles. Uh, Nathan writes, Mark and Foxcatcher. Are you kidding me? So underrated. What a performance. Uh, Adrian writes 22 Jump Street. Tyler writes She's the Man Will Forever Be My Favorite Chick Flick. Uh, Nippon writes The Gimp from uh, This Is The End. Yeah. Justin writes Lego Superman. Uh, Jason writes uh, Greg Jenko in 21 Jump Street and Lego Superman. Uh, Jay, Jay writes Hail Caesar and Chris writes Hail Caesar. Some good dance moves he has that in Hail Caesar. Caesar. Well, there's that. I mean, there's the whole dance segment in Hail Caesar, but there's that moment towards the towards the very end when he jumps on the sub and he gives a little look, and it's like to to make something that funny out of that little moment in a film that already had that Alden Ehrenreich Ray Fine scene. There, there's, there's a lot of a lot of credit <laughs> needs to go to Tatum for how good he is in that movie, and for dropping the suitcase. Good job. And for dropping the suitcase. <laughs> Just brushing it off like it was nothing. Uh, Channing Tatum's uh, like favorite role, favorite role of his. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think he's even better in XXL than he is in the first Magic Mike. Mm, okay. Of course, I think I think XXL is better than the first Magic Mike as a whole, but uh, but I, I I think he's fantastic in it. And then you know, I mean, I think he's I think he's pretty good in uh, Hateful Eight too. Yeah, yes. I totally forgot about that, but yeah, he, he is in there. This yeah. question has reminded me how much I don't like Channing Tatum, um, <laughs> which is weird. Um, but I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like looking at every one of his movies, um, I would say that he was good in Foxcatcher, but I'm going to go with that person who left the feedback and she's the man, because I mean, he was really funny in that movie. All right. 
I would agree. And next question, Master Ray, what are your favorite films that put a focus on dim-witted characters? Nathan has Forrest Gump. Philip has Bottle Rocket. John writes Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. <laughs> Jay writes The Hudsucker Proxy. Chris has Oh Brother, Where Art Thou Again? And Catherine has Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Can't get you much dimmer than those two, but it's funny. How about Biodome? <laughs> Biodome. Dome. Biodome. Holy shit. I would I, I would I would say wow. um Jeez. I would say John Goodman and Forsyth's characters in Raising Arizona. Oh, oh that's God, yeah. yeah. I mean that whole cast you can I mean Nick Cage as well in there, but I would say specifically yeah. John Goodman and William Forsyth. Uh I mean I, I don't know if I don't know if there's anything better. Those guys in Raising Arizona. I mean, like you there's so many characters oh, yeah. in Cohen Brothers movies. I think you could just create, you know. I mean, George Clooney and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I mean, of course, like, George, you know, George you, Clooney you and all of Coen Brothers movies. <laughs> and, yeah. Everyone. Well, I mean, Nick, I mean, even Nicolas Cage in Raising Arizona. I mean, he's yeah. not smart, you know. But uh, he knows what love is. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen and Naked Gun. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's pretty dim-witted. Yeah. <laughs> he just seems to be surviving off his dim-wittedness, which is highly unlikely. Uh, next question is favorite mismatched buddy comedy. Only a couple answers. This one, uh, Hot Fuzz from Philip and Jay writes Midnight Run. Well, that's that's mm. a great answer right there. Mismatched bit buddy comedy. I mean, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, which still have us just alone. I mean, that's a that makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Turner and Hooch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like... lethal, lethal Weapon's great. I mean, you know, I mean, there's plenty of oh, yeah. Rush Hour. Rush Hour. Oh, three. Uh, cl- classic, classic planes, trains, and automobiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And uh, we got a bonus question. Favorite scene of Samuel L. Jackson swearing? Uh, Jay writes, I've had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. <laughs> That's probably what it sounded like uh, on a plane version of the movie. Uh, Catherine writes, yeah. many funny scenes in The Long Kiss Goodnight, which, he's, which is one of my favorite roles. And Nathan writes, any scene of his in Django, have you ever seen a meaner old man? Brilliant. I'm particularly a fan of him in Pulp Fiction when he and John Travolta are cleaning the back of the car. I think there's some great lines <laughs> yeah. in there. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of great lines in that movie. You know, asking John Travolta whether he used soap. So, uh, in any case, uh, now we move into questions that uh, somebody asked us and everybody here on the panel uh, will be happy to answer. Philip asked everybody here today, do you have a favorite genre or subgenre? where you are much quicker to overlook flaws that may bother you in any other films? And are there typically conceits common to that genre? Or do you just have so much fun that you're watching uh, that movie or that genre that you're forgiving of it? I mean, horror movies, I think, is a easy one. You overlook why zombies have to eat brains? Well, they don't have to eat brains, but... Um... <laughs> yeah, yeah say... actually, they do. Abe, actually, they do. That is a, that's pretty much like... The definition of zombie. Of zombie. <laughs> yeah, they I mean, they, have, they, they, they eat in general, not just brains. They eat all of the persons. <laughs> Sometimes they just bite them. I don't know. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say in general, um, you know, not because they're my favorite or anything, but I'm generally very easygoing on family films up until this summer. I, uh, up until this summer, actually, what happened? Well, the Emoji Movie and Not Job 2. That's what happened. <laughs> oh, uh, I, didn't, I didn't watch either. Well, it's just... And uh, it started last summer when they made whatever, Ice Age 27, whatever freaking number <laughs> that one was. 
But um, normally, like, I go into it and I'm kind of like, all right, well, I'm not the target demo. And, like, everyone always kind of, like, you know, when you have Disney and Pixar now, everyone like, oh, everything has to be as good as these movies. And I feel like a lot of movies are actually entertaining that are family films. But like people, they always get like middle of the road reviews just for because they're not Disney or Pixar. And um, so normally I was very passive about it. And I just kind of like, well, you know, this wasn't great, but like there's something here where you can take away as, you know, for kids or families. So I kind of try to look past it. But the lat like between Ice Age, Emoji Movie, and Nut Job 2, I literally just was like, no, now I can't. Like this is like th- these have been my breaking point. Because Ice Age, I remember, like, there's just certain things in there. Like, I think there was a, conversa- a conversation about MILFs in that. And I was like, okay. In Ice Age? That. Yeah, I think so. Oh, there was no. like there was like this scene where they were, like, doing, like, this, I don't know. There was, like, a meditation thing that happened um, where they with the stones at the end of it. I can't. Please don't remind me. Yeah, we don't need to talk no, about no, Ice Age. Yeah, we don't need to talk about <laughs> yeah. I definitely agree that with Aaron because I had some time to think about it, and I, I I'm pretty forgiving of horror movies, and that's mostly because when I think about something like Halloween, where at first it was just a, a pretty menacing brother, and then all of a sudden he's got you know mystical powers now, and then Jamie Lee Curtis kills him, and then he comes back, and I was like, okay, well I guess I'll keep watching. <laughs> Uh, and also fast acting zombies versus slow acting zombies. I always just never really think about that. I kind of just put it out of my mind of, well, they're just zombies. So there's a, I never really question whether, why some of them are fast acting versus uh, slow, but I like the fast acting ones. I mean, it's, it's a question of logic. I think it's being asked and it's like, yeah, for the most part, the horror movies and action movies, even in sci-fi movies, I mean, there's in fantasy, there's like the genre film in general. There's not a is if the movie's obeying the rules that it's itself has established. I'm not going to question them. I'm happy. I don't need to suspend disbelief. It's just more of that. This is the way this film works. So I don't have a reason to question it. I, I get that. I get why characters can fall certain levels of floors and be fine walking around afterwards. It's like, that's the world this movie exists in. That's why we're talking I, about uh, live, live, uh, or uh, the one movie with, uh, Fuck, ruin the joke. Live free or die hard? <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I was specifically thinking of The Rock jumping off of things in Fast and Furious movies. But, um... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That too. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, well, that was feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to... Uh... Hey, what, uh, what time is it? I think it's time for a very quick game here, Aaron. Little known fact, that's actually the, the ringtone for Channing Tatum's cell phone in uh, Logan Lucky. However, it was always turned off. That, <laughs> that was, of course, the improv theme for games, and I have a game for you guys this week. It's okay. Called, it's called What's the Score? Hmm. What, what would this entail? So this game, what I've done is I have a list of ten movies here, and I've written down – and they're all heist movies, and I've written down – the location of said heist and what they're going after. And you have to guess what the movie is based off those two things. Okay. So if you think you know we'll, the answer, we'll shout out your name. If you think you know the answer, shout out your name and then say what the answer is. So I'll All right, just, let's do it. Okay. And I, I even have an example, Abe. No. Okay, yeah. let's do it. The example the example okay, so here's the Charlotte Motor Speedway and millions of dollars. Logan Lucky. There you go. Abe, Logan there's, Lucky. There's the example. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's the first one. The location of the heist 
If you think you know it, by the way, just shout out. You don't have to wait the whole thing. Um, here we go. First one. The Mirage, the MGM Grand, and the Bellagio. Abe. Abe? Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven is the correct answer. You're on the board. That's the only one I'm going to get. Here's the next one. <laughs> the Mind. And Abe. Yeah. Inception. God damn it. Inception. I mean, I, I did I not ha- say my name. I have I to give it to Abe because he said his name. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. That's I knew the fine, answer to Abe. You I, played I by the rules. I didn't steal your answer, Todd. I know you didn't. It's the I rare mean. one where the goal of the heist was planting an idea. <laughs> Here's the next one. Treasure Island. A- A- Abe? <laughs> yes. Uh, actually, I don't know. I no, was going to say about Treasure Island. Okay. The goal of the heist is the Yellow Jacket. Treasure Island and the Yellow Jacket. You need to think of what Treasure Island is, which Abe, being in the Bay Area, I think you would know. But a Yellow Jacket? The Yellow Jacket? I'll give you another hint. The movie is from two years years ago. The Yellow Jacket? A Bay Area movie about a yellow jacket? The answer is mm-hmm. Ant-Man. They were in the Bay Area? They're in San Francisco. <laughs> in the, the, what, Pym Industries on Treasure Island. Oh, Scott um, Lane. And the bad guy's the yellow jacket, <laughs> which I'm trying to say. That's steal. right, yeah. Corey, what's his face? Corey Stoll. Yeah. Here. All Here, right. Here's the next one. Washington, D.C. And the goal... Was the Declaration of Independence? Todd. Scott. Todd. National Treasure. National Treasure is the correct answer. Here's the next one Long Beach, California. 50 cars. Todd. Todd? Gone in 60 seconds. Gone in 60 seconds is the correct answer. Which year? <laughs> I believe the, the remake was Long Beach. I don't know where this yeah, is. Yeah, it's it probably the remake. This one might be LA. I'll look that up. Next one. A Manhattan bank, a safe deposit box. Inside job. That's not. Nope. And you didn't say your name. Scott, inside man. Inside man is the correct inside answer. Man. Right. Scott's on the You're board. Hear it on my side that I did say my name. I didn't hear it. Here's the next one. Langley, Virginia. The knock Todd. List. Todd? Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible is the correct answer. Dang, Todd. I've only watched Mission Impossible 1 about 356 times. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Here's the next as one. As soon as you said Langley, I'm like, well, it's got to be Mission Impossible. <laughs> Here's the next one. The New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. Todd. Todd? Uh, Thomas Crown Affair. The Thomas Crown Affair is the correct wow. answer. Wow. Kudos. Here's the next one. 90s Los Angeles. Diamonds. Here's a hint. It's set in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess so. <laughs> Early 90s. Diamonds, though? 
It has an ensemble cast, as most heist movies do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. An all-male cast. <laughs> you really narrowed it down. I know. Like, bro, yeah. These are all the tropes. That was extremely movies. helpful. Yeah. Next, he, you're going to tell me that we're all white. The, uh, yep, yeah, it's true, too. The answer is Reservoir Dogs. Oh, oh, they're shit. going for diamonds, that's right. Yeah. I should know that. But I didn't think about LA and all that other stuff. That was <laughs> No. Here's the last one. It's a good one. Here's the last the one. geographic specificity of Reservoir Dogs is not that important. Yeah. So I think that's why I just didn't even I mean, I think LA. I mean, yeah, no, it's not like a highlight of the fact the film is LA, but I mean it is an LA movie. Mm. Here's the next one. A bookstore and a small sum of money. I feel like I should know this. A Texas bookstore. I'll say I'll put that in there. Mm. It is a debut film from this director. Uh, Todd. Todd. Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket is the correct answer. There you go. Oh, nice. Let's see. Looking at the the, to- the total here, Scott, you got third place. Abe, you came in second, but Todd, you ran away with this one. You got the most answers correct. So good job on winning the game. Man. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Now I'm ready to plan my own heist. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bonus question in case there was a tie. What's the highest grossing film, a heist film? Tower Heist. It's not Tower Heist. <laughs> one of the, what, is it one of the Ocean movies? Ocean's Eleven is number three. Inception, then. Inception is the top one, yes. Wow. Both domestically and internationally with like $825 million in it. That movie made money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thank y'all. Fast Five is second. Um, Ocean's Eleven, Ant Man, The National Treasure. Those are the highest grossing heist films. I just thought that was neat. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wide swath Good of heist to know. movies. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> All right. And scene. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's get to Out Now. Episode Out Now. These are movies that are coming out on DVD and streaming this week. Uh, let's see. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Yeah, go see it. Meh, meh. I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. Uh, the sheep on the other end of the uh, the podcast here, I guess, was not so enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Walking Dead Season 7 on Blu-ray this week. Uh, let's see. Ash versus Evil Dead Season 2. Uh, I've heard good things. This week. Supergirl Season things, 2 so. on this week. I love it. I've heard good things about Supergirl. Lucifer Season 2 on this definitely Blu-ray this week. Uh, uh, mixed. Daredevil Season 2 and Jessica Jones Season 1, if you don't have Netflix, are now on uh, Blu-ray and DVD. Um, let's see. Much better here. Uh, Barton Fink makes its Blu-ray debut, or at least uh, in America, its Blu-ray debut this week. Yeah, go see it. Which one? What? Barton Fink. Barton Bart- Fink? Barton Fink. Oh, man. Yeah. I have, uh, a, I have an import uh, Blu-ray. I have the you import, too. You guys haven't too. seen that Blu-ray, have you? The new one? Yeah, uh, I'm getting it this week, um, so I'm very you know excited about that fact. I was just gonna say, let me know how it how it is because I'm I'm very interested in. Uh, I mean, I the presentation from, is that I believe it's from Kino. Uh, I'm I have to look in to see if it's like a new restoration or not on it, but yeah. I'm, gotcha. Yeah, um, and on Criterion this week, lastly, uh, La Poison, uh, an old French film, and Sid and Nancy uh, returning to Criterion Blu-ray. I know it's that's like an older it was an older entry in the Criterion collection, but now it's on Blu-ray. Yes. Yeah, it's on Blu-ray on Criterion. 
that's on Now, next up, extremely cool. These are things that are now on Netflix that we can uh, recommend in some way. Uh, I talked a lot about The Defenders, which is streaming on Netflix now. That's the main thing here. <laughs> uh, also, What Happened to Monday? This is the film with um, Numi Rapace as, like, septuplets. And it's directed by Tom Tommy Vercola, who directed the Dead Snow films, as well as, um, what's it, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Uh, but it's a Netflix uh, original. Uh, it's now out there. Um, let's see. Next week. Does Atypical uh, count? Because that show's great. Yeah? What, which one is that? It's the one with, uh, I think his name is Kier Gilcrest, and oh, so it's the about with... the kid, uh, yeah, oh. autism. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah that's, it's uh, really great. That's Todd's cousin, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my son. Kier Gilcrest. No, I thought, I th- thought that show was really great, and I feel like no one's talking about it, but it's. I, I hope it gets a second season. Yeah, I mentioned it last week in the show. I know it's uh, it's in my queue. I've been meaning to have I haven't had a chance to check it out yet. But yeah, it's one to just gonna look into. Uh, let's see. That. How come you didn't bring up Naked with uh, Marlon Wayans? You don't think that's gonna be a masterpiece? <laughs> the new Marlon Wayans movie? Yeah. I like that he he and Adam Sandler are like let's just do Netflix now. Like that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Next week's show. Next week, uh, what are we doing next week, Abe? Uh, summer summer Campbell update, right? Not next week. No, that's the week after. Oh, next. Yeah. Next week is just, I think, a bonus. I know. Um, I think it's another bonus. Yeah, there's no, yeah. like, huge release coming out next week besides Terminator 2 and 3D. <laughs> so, um, hey, man, that's a good movie. It is a great movie, which we did a commentary for. So I'd recommend anyone, anyone seeing T2 3D. You've probably seen T2 before. But if you haven't seen it with our commentary, this would be the time to bring your iPod to the theater. That's what I'm saying. So. Or your iPhones, because they don't make iPods anymore. I have an old iPod. But yeah, if you have <laughs> whatever device you have. Thanks. Um, last thing here. What should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Abe, what should people see in theaters right now? I'd, say, I'd recommend Logan Lucky. And then what I'm going to see next is... Uh, I'm actually not sure. I, there's a couple movies I need to catch up on, including uh, something that we talked about last week. So I might, <laughs> might have to go check out Annabelle Creation, because you guys have been giving it some praise. The must-see movie experience. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Todd, what should, Todd, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, you know what? I'm not sh- uh, Well, right now they should... I mean, I think they should go see either Logan Lucky or if you just want to have some fun being scared, like Annabelle. Like, uh, there there are certainly... Uh, this year, have, there have been a number of different kinds of horror movies, you know, things that are much more sort of uh, lingering and haunting and then other things, that, uh, you know, but like uh the you know new line has got this like sort of summer horror movie on lock in terms of just putting something together that's like really fun and scary and even kind of silly sometimes uh so i recommend that i mean it's like a it's a great like i said it's a great crowd experience uh and and i and you know speaking from personal experience it it doesn't stay with you you don't go home and go oh my god now i'm afraid of every shadow in my house it just <laughs> happens to be uh it's fun to be scared while you're watching it, and then you can let it go and go get some ice cream. That sounds like a good day. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Scott? Which, or sorry, Todd? What do you see next? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I I forgot about that T two three D. I was like, maybe I'll try to go check that out. I I uh, I'm definitely interested in in in, uh, in checking out the conversion, but you know, uh, Cameron's three uh, D conversions and and stuff is kind of peerless, so. I expect that it'll be pretty great. How about you, Scott? Which which people see in theaters right now? 
because no one has seen it, and I thought it was terrific, The Glass Castle. Mm. Nobody's talking about it, and uh, Brie Larson's terrific, and it reunites her with the short-term 12 director. Yeah. Um, Really emotional. um, I'll I'll be honest, it's not for everyone, but it's uh, very poignant and uh, powerful. Um, and then for something to come up, I'm seeing whatever that movie is with Reese Witherspoon, Open Road or Open, whatever the heck it's called. I don't even know the name of it. Home's up, home again? Home, home again. Yeah, there you go. It's not open anymore. That sounds like a movie that's changed back in the early 2000s. Well, it's produced yeah. by Nancy Meyer, so kind of. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's apparently, they've been screening this for a really long time from what I've heard for like months okay and so i don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign but um it looks like a great throwback to like the 90s romantic comedy so i'm Mm. I'm interested enough even though i couldn't remember the title um as far as what people should see i you know get logan lucky i was a big fan of Valerian's still out in some theaters. So people can still see out it. there. Oh, um, I, I agree. I think I think people should have seen Valerian. I, I I'm so sad that that movie has bombed even overseas. Yep, but still champion it. And um, as far as what's seen means to see next, I yeah, I don't have anything on the lineup here, so I'll say T2 3D is probably the next thing I'll see in theaters. Um, but yeah. Uh, with that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and You can find more of my work and my personal blog at CodeAzeek.com. You can find all my movie reviews there, as well as on YSWBlue.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff over at Oakley Doakley, Instagram, and Twitter.com slash Moose. Hashtag, are the Logans lucky or cursed? Todd Gilchrist, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, well, right now, um, not too many places. Uh, but uh, you can you can find me on uh, Twitter at MT Gilchrist, M-T-G-I-L-C-H-R-I-S-T. Uh, not Mount Gilchrist. That's M is in Matthew, T is in Todd. Uh, you can find me on uh, – someone said that the other day. I was doing – I was actually uh, doing uh, the Battleship Retention podcast, and they were like, whenever I see that, I think – Those Mount- jerks? I'm kidding. We're yeah. friends of the show. <laughs> they, they, they told me that you, that you guys have this like Hatfield and McCoy-style beef that just goes oh, way we back. Do. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're the right side. Yeah. yeah the Bill Paxton side. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but no, uh, then I'm on I'm on um, where, is, where else am I? Oh, I'm on Instagram. You can find me at Best Dressed Todd. Uh, and uh, you know, hopefully in the near future, uh, you know, I, I have some some promising um, opportunities. I think I'm going to try to take advantage of. Uh, so I hopefully we'll have more um, websites and stuff to to promote and stories to nice. promote. In the coming I, I really want you to be the Sperry model. I know that they've been really asking you to be one. I think you should accept it. Oh, man, I'll do it. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> uh, Scott Menzo, where can people find more of your class? Where can people find more of your I make it easy for everyone. So you don't have to follow me, but if you want to on Twitter, it's Movie Man Menzel. But the one that I care about the most is We Live Network, which is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's We Live Network, and you can read all my reviews as well as other contributors at WeLiveEntertainment.com. Great. Uh, you can find all the other episodes about Now with Aaron and Abe over on iTunes as well as on Audio Boom. You can also you can also listen to us over at Stitcher, uh, HHWLOD, and SoundCloud. 
Feel free to email us any thoughts you may have on Logan Lucky or anything else we talked about today over at OutNotPodcast at gmail.com. Interact with us over at Facebook.com slash OutNotPodcast, or you can tweet us at Twitter.com slash OutNot underscore podcast. And, of course, there's our Tumblr page where you can send us plenty of gifts of Channing Tatum dancing and Hail Caesar over at OutNotPodcast.tumblr.com. <laughs> Um, greatly appreciated Todd Scott thank you both for joining us today thank you both thanks thank so you. much yeah for sure um, always good to have guests on always good to have new guests on always had to have returning guests on we hope everything works out for Todd um, and um, <laughs> you don't sound too optimistic I appreciate that I do, I'm, I'm, I'm jovial <laughs> I'm happy about the opportunities that may be presented for you but um, it, it's just I didn't realize this until we started this recording so it's like oh that's unfortunate but I want things to work out a little by the way before before we wrap up um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys know this I just glanced online and it turns out that uh, uh, Jerry Lewis passed away wow did not yes. know that oh. oh I did not know that either so yeah he was up there right how, how old was Jerry Lewis feelings about 91 91 oh. I mean and he, and he was dealing with so much issues for like what the last 15, 20 years of his yeah. life. I mean, yeah. It was kind of. You, didn't he make a movie fairly recently, like within the past? He had a. Five no, he, years, he had an old it. movie of his released for the first uh, time. Okay. I believe was what happened. Gotcha. I think there's also okay. something else, maybe too. Yeah, there. Yeah, there was like something else recently. But I know there was like an old thing that like he had done a long time ago that got released finally. Yeah. But. Well, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. He was. That's he, unfortunate he to hear. Contributed but, a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's. I guess we have to wrap up now. But, um, <laughs> until next time, when we talk about whatever we end up talking about, that's going to do it for So until then, so long. And goodbye. Almost heaven. West Virginia. Blue Ridge Mountain. Shenandoah River. Life is older. Older than the trees. Younger than the mountains, growing like the breeze. Country roads, say, take me home to the place I belong. West Virginia, mountain mama, take me home. Country roads, all my memories. Gather round her, minus lady, stranger to blue water. Dark and dusty, painted on the sky, misty taste of moonshine, teardrops in my eyes. Country roads, take me home to the place. Uh, let's see. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Yeah, go see it. Meh, meh. <laughs> I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. Uh, the sheep on the other end of the uh, the podcast here, I guess, was not so enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs>